Okay, Romans chapter 14, verse 12. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us, each one of us, somebody say one will give an account of himself to God. This is, not a fear, uh, this is not a fear passage of Scripture. It's actually very, very liberating and very exciting. But the point I want to make here right now is this, that you're responsible to steward what God has put in your own life. Okay? I'm not responsible to steward what God put in Ken's life vice versa. I'm like, it's when we stand before God, and this is not, this is not the scary thing saying, am I going to make it or am I not going to make it? Like that's, that's not the issue here. The issue is to give an account for your life and how you stewarded what God planted in your spirit, his plan for your life. So just like that, I'm like, I entered into the world without all of you. I'm going to exit the world if, if that happens like that, without all of you. We're going to stand before God individually one day. So I'm responsible for me. Just nudge your neighbor and say, I'm responsible for me. That's why, that's why comparison is so crippling because a lot of times we compare ourselves with other people and we look at other people and say, oh man, they got this going on or they got that going on. I wish I could do that or I wish this and that. And it's one thing to have mentors in your life and people that will help raise you up and that sort of thing. But in terms of your own individual calling and your own individual giftedness and what God has put in your own life, you're responsible to steward it. So let's keep going. These are just kind of like prelims. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's just, this is just kind of called accountability. <laughs> Matthew 25, if you look at the, the parable there when Jesus is talking about the talents, and I've just highlighted a couple of verses here, but there's a division that, that goes about where he, he's dispersing talents. He's dispersing um, five talents to the one he gave five talents to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability, and when he went, his, went on his journey. And then later on in that, you know the story how um, the, the one that had the one talent he actually, he said, I perceived you to be a wicked master or a wicked father. And so I took what I had and I buried it. And so here's what you gave me. I'm going to give it back to you now. Here you go. And so he gives back what he was given. And then Jesus comes along and he says this. He says, for everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. So it's not an issue of a mean God. It's an issue of a stewardship. What are you doing with what you've been given? That's the whole thing. So if you think of it individually, what am I doing with what God's done and given me in my life, gifting-wise, provision-wise, um, you know, my family, my, my life, my every, every part of your life? And so the question needs to be asked then, what am I doing? How am I investing my life in, in the kingdom? What am I doing with my life in the kingdom to produce fruit? God's always looking for fruit. Okay. God's always looking for fruit. And it's not a pressure thing. It's not a striving thing. I love it that it's fruit. I've said this before. You look at a fruit tree, and a fruit tree bears fruit not through striving, but just being. That's why Jesus said, abide in me, I'll abide in you. Just like a branch that doesn't bear fruit, I'll prune it, I'll cut it off. And he says, and then 
so that you'll be more fruitful. Even as you're producing fruit, I will prune you to produce more fruit. So the beautiful thing is, is that when we're producing fruit, Jesus wants to prune us to produce more fruit. Because he's always looking for increase. It's, he's got increase on his mind. So I just said here, you can't take it with you. In other words, um, you're responsible to steward what God's given you. Money. Let's just read these out as I share them. Money. Somebody say money. money. Possessions. Possessions. Popularity. Popularity. Success. Relationships. Relationships. All these things that we have here, uh, all these things that we have here that we oftentimes we get a temporal mindset on and we, we focus on the here and now. But as, as he said earlier, we're not to store up for ourselves stuff here on earth. Not that we can't have stuff. The big thing is, is that the stuff can't have you. That's the big thing. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It matters how much stuff has you. And so when it, got, when it comes to money, possessions, popularity, success, all that stuff here in this realm, in the earthly realm, is, is, is great. That's wonderful. But we're to store up in, heaven, in the heavenly realm all these good things. Now, you can't take your money to heaven. You can't take your, you know, all these different things to have your success to heaven, all that kind of stuff. But the point is stewardship is what I'm trying to make. There's a, there's a great story in the Bible we're going to look at here. It says in, in 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha died. Somebody say Elisha. And they buried him. Now bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year. And they, as they were burying a man, behold, they saw a marauding band, and they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up to his feet. That's kind of wild, eh? That's kind of wild. That, that's like, what? In the, can you imagine? Just think about it. Just think about this. In the here and now, in your life, in my life, just think about that for a minute. What that would look like. It would look like that. But think about that. You're, they're, 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 there's a bit of fear going on. They cast the body into the grave because this invading uh, group is coming in. And instantly, that, that the, dead, the dead becomes living because of the anointing that was still in the grave of Elisha. Now, I think that's really exciting, but the Lord flipped it on me one time many years ago, and uh, I actually, I think in my Bible it might even say this, but I find that to be very, very sad. Because just as you can't take your money with you, you can't take your possessions with you, you can't take stuff with you like that, the anointing on Elisha's life was not to be kept for himself to be buried in the grave when he passed. We're called to leave it all on the field. Elijah didn't die. He just got taken up. But Elijah passed on what he had to Elisha so that he could go on and be more successful than he was. He passed it on, but there's no record of Elisha passing on what was given to him to somebody else. Now, I'm not ragging on Elisha. I'm going to talk to him one day about this. Like, why didn't you just pass? Like, what was it? What happened in your life that you didn't pass on what you were carrying? Like, you went after something. You got something. But you didn't, there's no record of him passing it on to, like, another or that kind of thing. And so, even the anointing that you have, this is something, the giftedness you have in life, in, in life is ministry, by the way. We don't separate secular and sacred. I, I really don't like doing that. I, I like to say it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdoms of this world becoming, becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. 
so we don't separate. Okay, now I'm doing kingdom work on Sunday because I'm speaking to people. No, I was doing kingdom work yesterday when I was in the golf tournament, not in the rain, just in the clouds, and with, with Carter and, and, we're, and Eric, we're hanging out, we're doing, a, that was that we were in the kingdom there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You, we got to make a mind, our minds need to be renewed so that we see things as my life is about the kingdom. I'm about my father's business, whether I'm golfing or I'm preaching or I'm taking a nap. So this, this I feel, is one of, the, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. And like I said, I'm not, not you know, getting, getting after him or anything, but Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says something similar that we read earlier. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted uh, much, of him they will ask more. So it's a stewardship issue. Nudge your neighbor and say, what are you doing with what you've got? So I got two questions today. This message really just has two questions. And the first question is, um, what are you passing on? Think about it. What are you passing on? What am I passing on? Elijah had Elisha. Moses had Joshua. Paul had Timothy. And, and others as well. But there was, there was this passing on. There was always a mindset of, I need to reproduce. I need to be fruitful. I need to pass on. I need to hand over. I need to, you know, we talked uh, yes, last week, uh, Father's Day, about how the true heart of a father is to say, I want my kids to go on and see more and do more than I've ever done. That's the heart of a father. Remember we said, Paul, Paul said, you know, you've got 10,000 teachers, but you don't have many fathers. So follow me. Imitate me. And he, and he talked to the Corinthian church as his kids. He's like, my children. And then he talked about Timothy. And he talked about, you know, passing on and raising up. So my question then is, what, what are you passing on? Deuteronomy 31, verse 9, the story of Joshua. It says, Joshua, I always find this funny. I feel like you guys are in my thoughts today, actually. I always read this, I always read this and I chuckle. It's, you know, Jesus, or Joshua, son of a nun. How does that work? Anyway, there you go. Okay. No, no, no. Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did, did as the Lord commanded Moses. So Moses passed on something to Joshua. He passed on this anointing that he carried. And Moses functioned under the spirit of wisdom. And there was something that happened. It makes it really clear there. How was this passed on? Was it passed on just through teaching? Was it passed on through, you know, whatever? No, no, there was impartation. Actually, there was a laying on of hands that took place where what rested on Moses actually rested on Joshua. But you got to look at it. I want to I talk about impartation just for a couple minutes because it's not, it's not just like that that... Um, you just walk about and you, you, know, you go out and, and lay hands on people and then they function like you do. Go with me in your Bibles to Exodus 33. On your phones or in your Bibles. And let's pick it up, um, let's pick it up in verse number 8. You there? Okay. So in, in, in uh, Exodus 33, in verse number 8, it says this. It says, When Moses went up into the tent of meeting, out to the tent of meeting, all the people rose, and every man stood at their tent door. 
at his tent door and looked after Moses as he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the door of the tent, and the Lord would talk with Moses. That's pretty cool. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud uh, at the tent and at the tent door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. And then there's something here that happens in verse number 11. It says this, it says, Thus the Lord God used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So what was it about, what was it about Joshua that was able to receive from Moses that would cause him to rise up and be the leader that he was going to be? Moses, I believe, that, I believe the whole thing. I marked it in my Bible here. In verse 11, I believe this is like the choosing of Joshua right here. Every man would go in there. Joshua wasn't the only one that was going to meet with the Lord and all that kind of stuff. Many, many people were. But Joshua, even after Moses had gone out, he's like, I'm hungry. <sighs> I'm so hungry. I, I'm not satisfied. I just, I, I need, we need to talk a little bit more. We need to linger a little bit more. I'm not just in, in it for just a short little bit here. I'm, I'm hungry. I need, to, I need this. And so I just see some, some, some keys here regarding, um, regarding uh, impartation and receiving something that, from the Lord through somebody. And the first one is this, hunger. Somebody say hunger. hunger. Your hunger will always set you up for encounter. Okay. I, I, I get a kick out of people because when I talk about hunger, what I'm talking about is hunger. Does anybody get hangry? I get hangry. I'll get to start getting grumpy. Mel will be like, when's the last time you ate? Because <laughs> there's something about hunger, though. When you have hunger, you actually pursue the very thing you're hungry for. Right? And so there's this hunger, and we see Joshua was a hungry man. He was pursuing the presence of God. He wanted to encounter God. He wasn't satisfied just with average. He actually declared war on average in his life. I'm not satisfied for average. And so he goes on, and, and but there's this thing, because some people say things like this. They're like, well, yeah, I believe, I believe in, in that. I believe in that. That's good. I believe that God has more for me. I believe that God wants to use me. I totally believe that. I'm with you on that. And I always tell people when it gets into the things of God, where you're hungry to pursue God for new things you haven't experienced yet, the belief in that thing that you're striving for or going for, when I say striving, I don't mean like, I'm talking about pressing in for, okay? The, the belief that you have for that, of the openness, that, that you say, yeah, I believe in that. I'm totally, I believe in that. I believe that God has something for me. That belief in itself doesn't set you much higher than the enemy, Satan himself. Because the enemy believes in your destiny. Why do you think he'd fight against you so that you wouldn't fulfill what God's called you to do? He believes that you have a, de a destiny. And it's his job to steal, kill, and destroy to keep you from the life and the abundant life that Jesus has for you. So to say that I believe, you can believe and not have any hunger. Then the next level would be like this, where people would say, well, 
yeah, I'm open. I'm totally open to that. Whatever God has for me, I'm so open to that. If God wants me to step into this or do that or do this, I'm so open to that. But openness is very different than, than hunger because openness is just saying, if God wants to do it in my life, he'll do it. It's a passive thing. Thank you. It's very passive. It's like, I'm open to that. If God wants that, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take it if it comes kind of thing. But then that third thing, though, the third level, level, level is actually uh, hunger. I didn't put it on the slides in this order per se, but um, hunger, openness, and faith. And then also the third thing is obedience. Every time, you know, we said a couple weeks ago, uh, faith looks like something, okay? Faith looks like something. Noah built an ark by faith. It looked like something. It wasn't just willy-nilly. He heard from the Lord, and he said, okay, I better be about this. He got the, he got the blueprint from heaven to build a boat that was larger. There, there weren't vessels like this in the earth, okay? We, weren't, we don't see any signs of uh, mass flooding or anything like that. But he builds this thing for 100 years while people ridicule, mock, and scorn. When's the last time somebody ridiculed, mocked, or scorned God's vision on your life? Maybe, 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 just maybe, maybe we're not at a place right now with our hunger and faith and obedience where we're stepping into the greater picture of what God has for us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, and we don't judge how we're doing by faith just by how much opposition we get. I'm not saying that. But my point is, our faith has to look like something. We've got to put it out there and go for it, plan for it, set it out, lay it out, pray into it, lean into it, press into it, to go for it. So, so there's those keys there. Now, Jesus talked a bit about impartation, or demonstrated it rather, in Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. It says, they were bringing him children so that he might touch them. Somebody say touch. That word touch there uh, is a word uh, in the Greek that actually means to ignite or kindle a flame. So what he's, what he's doing is the, people saw something in Jesus and they said, the, kid, the, their, the parents are like, I want my, I want my children to be, I want, them, I want him to lay hands on my children because there's something about this man that I want my kids to have. And so it says they were bringing him so he might touch them for the purpose of igniting a fire in them. But the disciples rebuked, rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. And there's that same thing again, that to ignite a fire. So there's impartation that's happening. That's why when we pray for people and we say, like, for, you know, we went over for the next, you know, um, Wendy, Barb, I didn't see who else, Corolla, I think, or was it Corolla? I don't know who it was at next or whatever. When we lay hands on people and pray for them and believe with them, it's not just a, a, a religious act, okay? Just look at your hands for a minute. Now just look at your neighbor and say, these hands are dangerous because they're loaded. These hands are loaded. The purpose of, but, but the deal is, 
we often don't even honor the anointing in our own lives that we carry. But there's something about Jesus where, and the people recognize, I want this man to lay hands on my kids. I want this, I want this fire. I want him to ignite a fire in my kids. And then he breaks it down. He says, guys, he said, unless you come like a child, you won't even, you won't even enter into kingdom stuff. In the kingdom, maturity, spiritual maturity is based on childlike faith. Well, I'm too mature for that. That was very immature. But it's interesting how in the natural, as we mature, all that childlike faith, the creativity, the belief, the hunger, all that kind of stuff just kind of wanes a little bit, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe just in my life, I don't know. But i got to remind myself. i got to go back to it all the time be like, oh, just like a child, like a child. Oh, I just want to be like a child. A child, if, 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 if there's a child in the home, dad says something, and it's like, especially when the child are really young, right? You can tell your child something, and they're just like, they believe it like that, right? Then they get into their teenage years, and it's like, Really? Uh, and then you got to Google it and show it to them and prove it to them, you know what I mean? It's like there's all these different things. But, but when they're in this childlike state, dad says something, boom, I'm banking on it, it's a done deal. Just like that. Because dad said it. So what has dad said to you? Your heavenly dad, what has he said to you? Because it's the same thing. Jesus is saying, you got to be like a child if you're going to enter into kingdom things. you gotta, you got to have faith like that, hunger like that. Obe- instant obedience like that, too. Ah, come on. All right. So then the, then the next question is this. What are you going after? These are only two questions today. Number one, what are you passing on? Number two, what are you going after? Let's read this together. One, two, three. Good. I want to camp out here in, in um, Kings, First Kings now. Let's go back here to First Kings, chapter 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha. This is Elijah. Elijah departed. He went out and he found Elisha, and uh, son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he went, he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him, and he threw his mantle on him. And he, this is Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and he said, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again. What have I done for you? Or in other words, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and settle for yourself what has just happened here. What happened when I took my mantle and I put it on you? What just happened? In this culture, they understood this because mantles represented calling, represented authority, represented anointing, um, represented really God's destiny on their life. And so a lot was attached to the mantle in terms of what they wore. And in New Testament terms, there's all kinds of talk about mantles, you know. We, uh, we, we put on the armor of God, as it were, right? Those are just some articles of clothing that we don't have time to go through. But we wear, we wear things that are connected to our calling and our destiny. We put on a garment of praise when we feel a spirit of heaviness. Put on a garment of praise when you have a, feel a spirit of heaviness. It's not, that we, it's not that we just wait till things get better. You actually actively put on praise over heaviness. I'm feeling heavy. Crank up the tunes. Let's start praising because I got to get out of this funk. Get up off that thing. You hear what I'm saying? 
He clothes us with robes of righteousness. When I become a Christian, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Some people take off that mantle, that robe. I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. No, you are worthy because he made you worthy. He gave you his righteousness. That's who you are. I don't care what your circumstances say or what other people say about you. You actually are clothed with a robe of righteousness as a believer. You need to remind yourself of that. Yeah, and garments of salvation. Woo-wee. Garments of salvation. But anyway, there's a key here at the back, at the end then. So he goes and settles for himself. He returned from following him. He took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and he gave it to the people and they ate. They had a big barbecue. And it says there, there's three words that I think are huge keys in going after something that you desire. It says this. It says he arose, he followed, and he served. So when I ask the question, what are you going after? An answer that, that you could answer yourself would be, well, what are, you, what are you serving into? What am I investing into? Who am I investing into? Who am I serving? Who am I, who am I helping? There's something about getting up off that thing, following and serving, that, that, that does something to receive more fullness of what God has for us. Stay on that question. Let's go to 2 Kings now. Let's flip there. I'm going to paraphrase it for sake of time. But in 2 Kings, chapter 2, it says here, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah said to Elisha, uh, we're, going to go to, we're going to go from Gilgal. We're going, to, we're going to leave from Gilgal. We're going to go from Gilgal. Now, this whole process is so significant of where Elijah is leading Elisha. I believe that, that when, when Elijah dropped his mantle on Elisha, he saw something in him. He saw something in Elisha to say, this guy's got something, a call of God. I'm recognizing a call of God in his life, so I'm going to drop my mantle on him so that, and see how he responds to it, right? Now, he had a great response because he got up and he went after and he served. I mean, he followed him and he served. But it went beyond that because Elisha was hungry to step into the fullness of what this other guy saw about him. And so when he went on then, God was about to take Elijah up in a whirlwind, Skipping death, just going up to be with Jesus. And at that point in time, it says we've got to move on from here. And Elijah, I believe, was testing Elisha to see, are you, I understand you're open, I understand you believe, but are you really hungry? And so he almost made it difficult for him to follow him, in a sense. It says there, it says that we got to go on from here. We're going to leave, we're going to leave Gilgal, okay? So there's a whole bunch of things here. Uh, first of all, let me just talk about this real quick. Um, in order to go after something in God and see destiny fulfilled and life brought out, we need to position ourselves for God's, for God's timing. I talked a few weeks ago about the Kairos time of God. There's, there's something about following the Lord and stepping into what he has prepared for us in the now time of God to position yourself for it. And so through this process here of Elisha, he was positioning himself to receive what he was going after. He wasn't just by it, sitting back and, you know, looking around. He was actually actively going for it. So he, he was at the right place at the right time. That's a big deal. But on these things here, Gilgal talks of holiness. This is the place of circumcision. 
It's where they came out into the promised land, and when they, when they, when they, uh, they went through, they, they, they circumcised a whack load of people, it was like the cutting away of the flesh, and it speaks of holiness. And so there's something about the process of God and walking into destiny and accepting call where he deals with our flesh. And I get it. We have a heart of flesh. We have a new heart. You know, I got all that stuff. We're new creations and stuff. And if that's the case, then why do we still struggle with flesh so much? You know what I mean? So there's still, there's just, a, it's like this. It's not, and I get it. There's not, you know, my, my heart has been circumcised. I understand that argument. But just kind of bear with me for the sake of illustration here right now. As we start walking toward the thing that God has for us, we got to deal with things like flesh. In fact, it's interesting because the, the process at Gilgal was actually the cutting away of the flesh because it's, they said this, they said, to remove the shame of slavery. So they came up out of Egypt and the circumcision was to remove the shame of slavery. It's one of the aspects of it. So to step into the destiny that God has for me, I can't be walking around with this fleshly shame on my life all the time. That's why we believe in the healing of the heart. We believe in, in, in getting set free from, you know, uh, fear, shame, control, like that whole cycle, all that kind of stuff. We talk about that and we, we trumpet it because it's so beautiful to be able to be set free from shame so we can step into destiny and fame in Jesus' name. That rhymed, actually. Okay, let's try that again. It's important that we understand we need to be set free from shame, Pastor Eric, so that we can step into the fame in Jesus' name. God, God wants, listen, don't have this idea that, well, I'm just going to remain down here. I get it. We're humble of heart, but guess what? You're not humble in your heart if you don't step up and say, I was made for this. I'm going to shine bright like a diamond for you, Jesus. God will make himself famous through you. I used to talk a lot about the nameless and faceless generation, and it was actually a, through a really good conversation with a dear friend that um, actually he rebuked me. And he said, actually, what God wants to do includes a face and a name. It's the people standing up fully in him, representing him fully, and they have a name. My name is T-Dog. My name is Trevor. You know, your name is Ken, Jen. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So it's not a nameless and faceless. No, they have faces. They have names. People stand up and say, yeah, we're going to make you famous, God. So, so there's, this, there's this process that goes on as he's pursuing it. Um, then, then he goes, let's read on. It says, he says, he says Elijah, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And so Bethel represents the beginnings in Christ, the, the, the beginnings in Christ, the newness of life. It's like Genesis chapter 28, you know, the story where Jacob, you know, he has the dream. He rests on the rock and he gets up from there. And when he gets up from there, he said, surely the presence of God was in this place and I didn't know it. And then he built an altar, altar, called it Bethel, made a commitment to God, and he said, from now on, I will give you a tenth of everything I have to you. And at that point, though, it was like his beginnings in his journey with God. That's what it was. So Bethel often represents, it's like the, the beginning stages. And so there's this process of holiness, getting set free from shame, to our new beginnings in Christ. But we don't stay in that spot. We move on. And it says here, it says, 
Now he said to him, he said, the prophets and the sons of, the, of Bethel came to Elisha and he said, do you know the Lord is going to take your father, your master from you today? And he said, yeah, I know, but hold your peace. And Elijah said to him, verse 4, Elisha, stay here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not going to leave. Do you notice the pattern here? Elisha wanted something from Elijah, and so he was so hungry, he said, I'm not going to leave you until I get the fullness of what I'm believing for. And up until now, he hasn't asked for anything. You see that? We know as the story progresses, we see there, he says, ask me anything you want, I'll give it to you. What do you want? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit to, to be on me. He didn't get all, you know, religious and say, I want a double portion of the goodness of God in your life on me. No, he says, I want a double portion of your spirit on me. When's the last time somebody asked you that question? Do we carry, do we, do we, do we um, demonstrate in our own lives personally fruit, behavior, actions, heart, spirit, that people would look at us and say, man, I want what you have. Elisha was pursuing Elijah because he saw something in him that he wanted. And when it came time for the big ask, he said to him, he said, I want a double portion of what you have. I want a double portion of your spirit. So we need to be living life in a sense, in a way that people will recognize and notice and be like, hey, I want, you know what, I need that grace that you have, John. You just got an ease about you. I need that in my life. I want you to lay hands on me. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Not just outside the body, within the body. That's why we're community, family. We, we, we need one another. So anyway, this progression goes on. Elijah's making it difficult for Elisha. And he's like, so what are you going after? And he keeps on going. He goes to Bethel, goes on to Bethel. He says, stay here. Then he gets to Jericho and he says this. He says, I'm going to go on to Jericho. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not depart from you. So they wanted to Jericho. Got to Jericho. Jericho was the place, the most modern city in the era of that time. So all the modern conveniences, all the, all the stuff. It was like the place to be. And um, in pursuing your destiny and pursuing what God has for you, you got to get your eyes off of just what's comfortable here and now convenience, amenities, whatever. It's about obedience and it's about faith and stepping and walking and pursuing and going for something and not to get hung up with this here. Like, you, you know, it talks about discipleship. Jesus talked about it. He said, you need to count the cost of being a disciple. You need to count the cost. You really do. No one says I'm going to build a house and doesn't count the cost, you know, of what it's going to cost to build the house. You've got, you got to count the cost. What is this going to mean? Actually, when you surrender and cross that threshold and surrender your heart to Jesus and say, my life is, is yours, all I am is yours, at that point in time, you've, you've almost surrendered the right of your personal opinion. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who gave himself for me. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. So there's this, there's this cost. So he, 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 he says this. He says, I don't care all this stuff. I'm not, you know what, I need to follow you. I'm going to keep following. And he keeps going. And then he goes from Jericho. He goes on to Jordan. And this is kind of cool because Jordan is the crossing of the threshold into the promise. When they crossed out, out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. But then they crossed over into the promised land. 
when they entered into that, they crossed the Jordan. And it's like, it was a threshold, really, of crossing over. There's a Hebrew word for threshold, which is interesting. I just want to point this out. Um, it, 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 it signifies facing death, uh, the, fresh, the threshold, threshold uh, mifton, which means it's the same word they use for uh, python, where, where we get our word python, like a snake that coils around and, and sucks the breath and the life out of. So without stretching it too far, when you say, I'm going to step into a greater measure of what God has for me, there's a point where you have to say, I'm dead to everything. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> all, the, all the life in me, my own breath, I just want your breath in me. It's the crossing over this threshold, this, this place where we're, we're stepping over out of, out, of, <laughs> out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of, out of uh, the wilderness, and we're stepping, crossing the threshold into the promise. And as we cross over into the promise, there's a death that takes place. It's the death of my dream, my own personal ambition. It's the death of my, what it looks like in the natural. There's a death of the opinion of man. There's a death to my pride. There's a death to, like, all these things, you know. There's this crossing over that takes place. So it says there, it says they get to the, the, the Jordan, verse number 6. He said, Terry here, I'm, God sent, the Lord sent me to Jordan. Okay, so he does that. And then he said, now it shows here in verse number 7, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also stood to watch afar off. The two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, the same mantle that he laid upon Elisha. He took that mantle, representing authority, anointing, power, calling, gifting. He took that off. And he, he struck the waters, it says. And they divided this way and that. So the two of them went over on dry ground. And when they had gone over, Elijah said to Elijah, here it is right here. He said, ask of me whatever I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, I pray you a double portion of your spirit be on me. He says, you have asked for a very hard thing. However, if you see it, if you see it, or if you, sorry, let me, let me get that properly. I'm paraphrasing already. However, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. If you see me. Have you heard the phrase, what you see is what you get? That's why we, we spend a lot of time here at Catch the Fire on really hoping, helping people to to see what God has for them, you know? Not everyone is a prophet seer, but everyone in the kingdom can see. Let me try it again. Not everyone is like a prophet seer, but everyone who's in the kingdom can see. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, we talked about it last week, Nicodemus, he says, unless you're born from above, you'll never see the kingdom. So Jesus was equating seeing in the kingdom and seeing kingdom stuff happening and transpire to being born again, born from above. Some of you need to stop saying and stop declaring over your life, I don't see anything. I don't see in the kingdom. I don't see things. Because guess what? As a born-again believer, you, you can see, and you will see, and you do see. You see? I believe that this was a spiritual thing happening. I believe that, that it was, he had to see it by faith. He had to see in the kingdom spirit realm by faith. I just personally believe that. You can take it up whatever you think. That's okay. But I personally believe that Elijah was testing him once again and saying, see it and you'll see it. All right. We got to come into land here. 
So, two questions. Number one, what are you passing on? Look at your neighbor and say, what are you passing on? That was pretty quiet. And then the other question is, what are you going after? Look at your other neighbor and just say, what are you going after? Seriously, I want, you to, I want you to seriously think about that. I want you to think about what I'm passing on, what I'm going after. Because I guess the truth of the matter is we're not called to stay where we are the same in the same place you are right now. If I visit you in two months and come to your house and we sit down and have coffee, I should expect to see some progression, some advancement, right? You're not the same person you were a year ago. You're not the same person you were a month ago because you should be progressing and stepping into and going for it. And the thing I love about Elijah and Elisha is that Elijah recognized something in Elisha, and then as he arose, followed, and served, Elisha recognized something in Elijah. He knew he was the prophet and all that kind of stuff, but then he got to the point where he's like, I want what you have. Now, in our context as believers today, I don't believe in the double portion thing per se so much anymore because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a believer. So you've got the portion unlimited resource inside of you, okay? So you don't need in that sense some man or woman to lay hands on you and say, here, have a double portion of what I have. But the heart of a father is that that person would function double portion to what I'm functioning in.